What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And he's It's the call-up, and we have a mock draft for Friday, February 11th. It is live on JustBaseball.com, and Ryan Miller is live with me right now to talk about the mock draft that, Ryan, you put a lot of time in this thing. It is awesome. We had a lot of checks and balances, talked to a lot of people, got people involved on this thing, and uh, it looks great. It's 1.0. We're going to have a lot of blank .0s of updated versions of the mock, but Ryan, you killed it, and I'm excited to talk about it with you, man. Yeah, thanks. You know, I, I put a lot of thought into this. I didn't just want to make it, you know, an article of 31 names and then no analysis at all. I really wanted to think it out, kind of, um, you know, look at team tendencies and stuff. But announced today, we will have a lottery draft. So I don't know how that's going to affect this at all. Like, I, I'm guessing the next mock I put out will probably be this order, but maybe the one after that might be, a whole different order. Like, I, I don't even know how that's going to go down. <laughs> Do our own lottery. Yeah. <laughs> just every well. time different now. I, yeah. I think you got to go by the probabilities, I guess, and just the worst team and go from that order. But uh, for people who may not know, because the only other time that you came on, it was still, I was still doing locked on MLB prospects. So Ryan Miller is our college baseball contributor at just baseball also does some prospect stuff as well. Uh, you are soon to launch your college baseball podcasts. We decided on the boys of spring, right? The boys of spring is going to be the name and possibly just to get the first episode out, maybe before we have, you know, a Spotify or an, an Apple podcast, the first episode is probably going to be on YouTube. Beautiful. And our YouTube is uh, just baseball fans. So definitely go keep up there for all your college baseball info. And that's why I'm glad to have you on, Ryan, because uh, for again, for people who don't know, you're going to be in the Cape Cod League this summer. Uh, working with Orleans, which is going to be really fun out there. You're going to have a blast. Yep. And the thing is, is it's not as college heavy with the arms is what you were talking about. We're going to get to that. I thought that was really interesting that we don't have very many arms in the top of this draft at the college level. Uh, there are some really good collegiate bats. There are some really exciting high school guys, but this seems like a, for now, a high school dominated first round uh, more Definitely. so than we usually see. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I was looking back on multiple drafts and the only real comparison I could find was 2019 when Nick Lodolo was the only pitcher to go in the top 10 to the to the Reds. Um, but, you know, I went all the way back to 2010. I didn't see any draft this high school heavy, especially in the top 10 picks. It's crazy. And again, like we, we were saying before we recorded that there's a chance that you could see some college guys pop up. But it seems like from what you were telling me, it seems like you feel as though it's more likely to see college bats climb rather than college arms making any surprising jumps through this spring. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's pretty interesting. You know, there's multiple storylines in this draft. Um, the one, as you just mentioned, the quality of prep bats. Um, the second is just the amount of high school pitching compared to college pitching. Um, Peyton Paulette with Arkansas went down with Tommy John surgery. He was slated to be probably the best pitcher in this draft. Um, and now that kind of looks like Blade Tidwell or uh, Carson Weisenhunt. So it's it's good, definitely going to be interesting to see how these guys perform this spring and if anybody really pops up. But right now, it looks like Dylan Lesko and Brock Porter are going to be the two top pitchers in this class. It's pretty wild. And Landon Sims, is there any chance we have him mocked and we're going to go through the picks. Landon Sims of Mississippi State, somebody that is nasty, has a good track record. Uh, maybe mixed reviews on what the long-term projection is. Is is that somebody that if if he you think incorporates a third pitch and really dominates, could maybe climb up? Could that be one of the college arms that could sneak into the top 15? He's actually the top guy for me that could sneak into the top 15. And the reason why is, well, first, he's been a reliever his entire time at Mississippi State, and now he's going to get the chance to start. So we're kind of going to see a third pitch from him, see what he looks like in that spot. But right now we have him mocked, I believe, 20 to the Braves, whenever the Braves pick, I believe it is 20. Um, And if he can prove he can start and he can develop a changeup and really dominate, I really do think that he could slide in these top 15 picks. It's funny too. I loved that pick to to the Braves because the Braves never seem to be deterred by the guys that were not stretched out in college or even guys that didn't have that great of numbers in college. If you had the stuff, you know, they've shown in recent drafts that they're okay with drafting stuff over track record and command uh, recently with, with some of these college arms. And it seems to have worked pretty decently well for them, but it's a high risk, high reward proposition. I think Landon Sims kind of fits in the same boat, but let's, let's start from the top because we're assuming that this is going to be the order and that the Orioles pick first. And this is another one where if we're basing it on recent tendencies, it would make sense for the O's to go with a college bat and maybe underslot a little bit. I think that's what they're going to do. That system seems to have worked for them really well, right? Like it's not just us saying, Oh, they've done this a couple of times. So they might do it again. They've done it a couple of times and it's worked well. I mean, Heston Kerstad's a really unique situation because you can't predict myocarditis and it's just great to see him swinging the bat, but that's not something you can say like, Oh, that was a bad pick. And he could end up being fine and well and end up being a, a great ball player. But what they did after Kerstad with those savings was what really stood out, going to get Westberg, getting these other guys. Same thing last year. And I really expect them to to do something like this. So I loved this pick at number one, going with the collegiate shortstop in Brooks Lee from Cal Poly. And Brooks Lee is like a do-it-all kind of guy, right? He's 6'2", 205, switch hitter, good speed, packs a punch, plays good defense, does 
everything you want from a shortstop seems like a high floor guy that's going to climb quickly and fit that Orioles timeline, right? Because the Orioles really are trying to compete in the next three years. You'd hope. I think every team's trying to compete within the next three years. They've got a lot of bats, though. That's my only thing. This team is loaded with bats, and they don't really have any short-term answers pitching-wise. If you could trade MLB draft picks, I'd probably trade this pick. Uh, but maybe going under slot here would allow you to go over slot in some other situations to go get uh, you know, a pitcher in the later rounds. Would Brooks Lee be an under slot guy at number one? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think Drew Jones and Tamar Johnson are going to drive a very, very high price. And, you know, we could say it's under slot to get Brooks Lee, but Brooks Lee very well might be the best player in this draft. As you mentioned, he can do it all. He can hit, he can field, he will stick at shortstop. In my opinion, he's a switch hitter and he's performed at a high level everywhere that he's gone. Um, He was widely regarded as the best player on Team USA last summer. He started actually the summer in the Cape Cod League, went to Team USA and then came back to the Cape Cod League. And he had very good numbers there. Um, As I mentioned, he was very good with Team USA. And of course, he's been very good with Cal Poly as well. Yeah, and that's the big thing. You know, hitting in the Cape is always going to boost your stock, but then going to USA and doing that as well. I mean, I, to, to give people a little bit of context to, to how difficult it is to, one, even just crack USA, and two, to stand out there. Speaking of Jordan Westberg, I, when I was in the Cape, he had gotten cut in the last round or second to last round of, of the Team USA trial, came to the Cape, you know, ready to prove him wrong, prove they made a mistake. And in his first game back at the Cape, was playing Katuit. I'm calling the game. He launches two home runs. Westberg ends up going 30th overall in, in the 2020 draft, and he's he's an absolute stud. And that guy didn't yep. make it. That guy didn't make Team USA. Uh, so Brooks Lee is a dude. He does it all. And again, like when you're saying under slot, it's it's not. It, it has a bit of a negative connotation. But the Pirates just did that this year with Henry Davis, and I thought Henry Davis was the number one player in this in that draft. Henry Davis is probably the guy I'm taking number one overall, just because the catcher that has the bat, that has the rocket arm. I would have been happy giving him full asking price at number one. So this is another one of those situations where you could get the best player in the draft and save money for your later picks, which to me is like a no-brainer. It'd be the equivalent of football or basketball trading back from one to three or four and getting an extra second round pick. Why wouldn't you do that? And it seems like that could be what the Orioles do. And especially in this draft here, if there was a high-end pitcher, I'd maybe argue, and maybe they go arm, but there is no pitcher that's even remotely within consideration of number one, right? I mean, there's, there's no one even sniffing it. Unless Dylan Lasco comes out and has a very, very, very dominant uh, spring season, I could see him maybe slotting into the pick three to five range. Right now we have him at number seven, but nobody right now who could be a pitcher at the number one spot. And the thing with the Orioles though, is they do seem to like the the hit tool first guys. And that's why I could see them make a run at Tamar Johnson. They love the guys that have the hit tool that then they can develop the power. We saw that with Kowser. We saw that with a lot of the other guys that they've targeted. But again, the, the saving seems to make it just make too much sense. But speaking of Tamar Johnson, that's who you have going number two to the Arizona Diamondbacks. And he's listed as a shortstop. How much, and again, these are guys that I've seen a decent amount of a lot of these guys, but I still haven't done my, my full deep dive on all of them. Uh, and, and I'm really interested to see what you think on the defensive side. Cause I've watched tomorrow hit plenty, not watched too much 
on the defensive side. I will say Tamar Johnson is probably the most polished high school hitter I've seen in I don't even know how long. I mean, I, I don't know if I could tell you the last time I remember a high school hitter with this advance of a swing that I think is going to immediately translate. It is just beautiful. Yeah, so Tamar is my favorite player in the class, personally. Um, the reason why I went Brooksley at number one was because I didn't want to just, you know, go through draft lists and be like, okay, top player one, you know, second best player two. I wanted it to make sense for the teams, and Brooksley does make sense for the Orioles. But Tamar, he's my favorite player in this draft, and he is probably going to be a second baseman, I'd think. And as you know, and I've played high school baseball, the best player on the team usually plays shortstop just how it works, but he really does profile as a second baseman long-term. And I don't think he's going to be a bad defender there. You know, I, I think he could be an average to maybe above average defender, but probably an average defender there. You know, he's 5'8", 194. He's got a stocky build. Um, the arm strength isn't, you know, he doesn't have a rocket. Um, so second base really just does make sense for him. But like you said, this is a very, very polished hitter. And I think if the Orioles really just want to dump money on that first pick, Tamar's the guy. I mean, again, I, I just have not seen a high school bat like that that just has such a good feel to hit. That's somebody that I think can really climb quickly for a high school profile. And you talk about a Drew Jones. He's kind of the opposite, right? He comes with a little bit more risk, a little bit more swing and miss. And the, the tough part, though, is are you really taking a projected second baseman number two overall? Like, can, can you really do that? Or, or is there how much hope is there that he could stick it short? Could he go to a corner outfield spot? You said the arms not where it needs to be. So third base, probably not in the cards. Yeah. And, you know, at 5'8", we've seen very short third baseman before. Second base just seems like the spot for him. But the reason why, and like you said, we don't see a lot of projected second baseman going high in the draft is because some evaluators and scouts are putting an 80 grade on this dude's hit tool, which like, we've only seen twice. We've only seen that with Wander yeah. Franco and, and Vlad Guerrero jr. So, yeah, yeah. It, I, I mean, he could, if, if they want to stick him at short, maybe, you know, try it out. But as an example, what I was saying, you know, trying to match up teams um, and how they pick, you know, the diamondbacks have Jordan Lawler, yeah, he profiles as a guy who could stick at shortstop, you know, uh, Lawler and Johnson up the middle. That's a very, very good middle infield. And with very an outfield good. of Corbin Carroll and Alec Thomas, I mean, yeah, th th you can start to see the pieces come together there. And again, you have a guy in Tamar Johnson who will climb relatively quickly compared to the average high schooler that could yeah. fit the timeline a bit more because Carroll is going to be up next year at some point. Thomas should be up opening day. Lawler. We'll have, I guess, a year head start, but I think it's fair to say that you could see Tamar catch Lawler given his profile. So it could it could make sense. And I, I like that move a lot. And, and again, you're not going to see Drew Jones probably be considered at number two here because they have the outfielders. They're, they're pretty covered in that department. And I think they, they need to hit on somebody here. They need a safer pick. Lawler was the guy that they were really happy to have you know, fall to them, has the big upside. It has a little bit of a wide range of outcomes, a little bit safer, still has a ton of upside. I love the pick there. But speaking of Drew Jones, that's what we have going at number three here. And the Rangers, the Rangers could go any which way. We talk about tendencies and things like that. This is one of those where it could just be best player available. They have not been 
intimidated by spending money whatsoever. They were the team that ponied up and was able to convince Jack Leiter that Texas was the place uh, because Jack Leiter had a little bit more control over his draft process than most players do. This is a situation where I could see them doing the same thing, right? We're going to go after the former big leaguer's son who, you know, we're not, we're not going to be intimidated by the high asking price. And we just want to get the biggest name and continue to just build the hype around the Rangers. We've got Leiter's son. We've got Andrew Jones's son. And we just spent half a billion dollars on the big league team. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you know, I definitely like Tremar worlds better than Drew. Um, and the reason for that is is a couple of different things. I don't know how much you've watched of Drew Jones, but his swing, it, it just, it doesn't look clean. It doesn't look smooth. A lot of moving parts. It kind of looks a little bit jerky. Um, and scouts have noticed that and evaluators have noticed that. And, you know, they understand that this swing may be a, uh, kind of you know a thing that progresses along and you know isn't a finished product right now um and i think his name value is giving him a little bit of a bump on draft boards just you know it's andrew jones's son and this guy kind of fits his build a little bit um i think drew has a little bit more power potential but you're going to get a very fast and probably a defensive wizard in center field i'd say this guy could win multiple gold gloves i'd think yeah, I mean, he's, he's got talk about the bloodlines and bloodlines are yeah. always going to matter. Right. I mean, bloodlines are always going to be important. I, I do see some of the same, though. I mean, this is a profile that is extremely risky. If the defense is something that translates, then that does hedge some of the risk when you have a plus defender in center. But I do I do have some questions on the bat. It's going right. to be a process. It's definitely going to be a process of development. It's probably going to spend majority of the first year in rookie ball or at the complex and that's fine for the Rangers I think here, because who else are you really considering? You, you could go with chase Delauder. That could be a pick that makes sense for the Rangers, given their outfield situation, given that he will probably climb as quickly as anybody in this draft. I'd argue that it'd be a race between Brooks Lee and Delauder to get there first. And I think Delauder could win it as an outfielder versus shortstop. Is that a name that you considered possibly at number three? for the Rangers or does does Jones just seem to make more sense? Um, I don't see Jones falling outside of probably the top four. Um, DeLauder's a guy who I could see definitely go there, but the guy who I originally had mocked at number three to the Rangers was uh, Jace Young, Josh's brother. He kind of fits a similar um, profile to his brother, big power guy. Um, maybe the defensive questions are going to hold him back a little bit in terms of how high you will go, but the bats there, the powers there. And really that's kind of the only guy who I consider there, but I could definitely see DeLauder going at number three. That's, that's the one guy. Cause I'm looking at the Rangers outfield right now. They've got, they've got a lot of infield prospects. They've done a good job of replenishing that system. Jones is an outfield prospect, but as we mentioned, a little bit more risk. DeLauder's is close to can't miss. There's no such thing, but there's close to can't miss of in this draft as you're going to find. But that brings us into number four, where you have Chase DeLauder going to the Pittsburgh Pirates. And another rebuilding team that is on the back end, I would say, of the rebuild, right? They're on, they're on the part of the rebuild where you're starting to set your sights on Okay, two years from now, where are we going to be? 
can, can we start to put it together? Nick Gonzalez would presumably be up then. You have Brian Reynolds up there. Uh, you have several, pro- O'Neill Cruz is going to be up next year. A lot of the main pieces, you're hoping Quinn Priester will be up. A lot of those main guys are going to be part of it. Brian Hayes is already there too. You probably want someone that's going to climb rather quickly. It, it seems like that would make more sense for this Pirates team. I love Chase DeLauder there and from James Madison University, right? I mean, it, you don't even need to look it up. You know immediately that this will be the highest drafted player in James, JMU history for the Dukes. Yeah, probably. Um, so when I was thinking about the Pirates situation, I could see them going in two different paths. One is to get a polished college bat, as you said, in DeLauder. And personally, that's my favorite choice. Um, but the other way... I could see them going is focusing on the next wave of prospects. So if for some reason, um, and I, I don't think that this will happen, but if Tamar falls into falls into their lap, if Lesko comes out and really boosts his stock, I could see Dylan Lesko going here. But right now, I definitely think that they will go with a polished college bat. And for some reason, you know, if the Orioles take Tamar, this kind of shakes it up a little bit because who will go to? Um, and of course, maybe the, the Rangers end up going a little bit under slot if they can't get one of these two big prep bats. So, you know, the Pirates taking DeLauder here does make a lot of sense. And I think they will probably go with a polished bat, somebody who could be there with the, with this wave of prospects, like you said, Gonzalez, Davis, uh, Cruz, and, and all those guys. Just seems to fit that that timeline again. And yep. do you think, though, that, the fact that the Pirates went with the mid-major college bat in Travis Swaggerty previously, is that any of a deterrent? They went with Swaggerty number 10 in 2018, did not seem to pan out. He did not have a great year last year. Is that is that something that discourages? I, at the end of the day, every player is different. I don't like that being a thing. I would say no, but I wonder if that's in the back of their minds at all. I, I mean, it's definitely in the back of my mind, but I do think that Chase DeLauder's world's better than mm-hmm. Travis Swaggerty will ever be, probably. Um, just, I, I mean, the, the thing about it is there was a change in general management in Pittsburgh. You know, Ben Sherrington comes in, had a really good draft last year, had a really good draft his first year as well. Um, so I I don't think that they're really thinking about it. I think, no, you know, it wasn't we them. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Right. And the pirates have a revamped player development system now. And I, I think that if the lauders here, they will probably take him. It's crazy. His swing, you know, his, his setup and swing reminds me a little bit of Kyle Tucker, just the way his barrel just lives through the zone. It's so yeah. simple. It's so effortless. This is a dude that to me is just so, so safe. I mean, his swing is just going to translate. He can hit VLO because there's not much movement. There's not much to time up. And the fact that he's still able to generate the power that he does with such limited movement, this guy's an absolute stud. And I mean, is there any chance he falls past four? Honestly, I don't think that he falls out of the top five. You know, he might go five for some weird reason, but I can only see him rising personally. He's a guy who, you know, if if the Orioles for some reason prefer him over Brooks Lee, they could definitely go with the lauder at one. I could see that too, but I just wonder, he's pretty similar to Kowser. If, if that would yeah. be something that maybe, maybe they stay away. I think it would probably depend on how, how things are going with Kerstad as well. Coming in right. number five is a team that really needs to figure it out with this pick. Like they can't miss. It's the Washington nationals. And 
this is something we talked about on the just baseball show today. It's like, do you actually consider trading Juan Soto? Because their system is terrible. Their big league team sucks and they don't really have any other assets to trade to replenish their system because Steven Strasburg's on a, on a deal that's never going to be able to get them any prospects. Same with Pat Corbin. And yes, they got keeper Ruiz and Josiah Gray, but outside of that, there's not really any other pieces. Robles struggled mightily. Carter Keeboom looks like he might be a bust and their system again is very weak and pitcher heavy. No doubt. They need to go with a bat. Half of me says they should go with a huge upside guy and hope, hope it pans out. The other half of me is like, they can't miss on this guy and they need to get a prospect that's going to translate Jace Young's who you have going to them at five. I I love the pick there because you have somebody that is a higher floor dude that can really mash, but I could also see them going with an Elijah green because that's, that's a dude that you could look back and be like, Whoa, how didn't he go one, one because of just how freakish Elijah green is. And we'll get to him because you have him mocked next to the Marlins at six. I love Elijah green. He is as exciting as it gets has tools across the board, wide range of outcomes there with him. And I think that's why we've seen him be considered as high as one. And we've seen him fall a little bit. Jace young, the guy's going to get to the big leagues. It's just a matter of how good he's going to be. Why do you have him to the Nats here? Is it, is it you want to go safer route or does it just seem to make sense for him to not fall past five? Yeah, definitely go safer route. You know, Elijah Green has probably some of the highest upside in this draft, but he also has some of the highest bust potential. Um, and the Nationals need to get this one right. I mean, if there's anybody who knows how bad their system is, it's me. Um, the Wilmington Blue Rocks, their high A team is the closest minor league team to me. I went there a lot last summer. And the only reason why I went there was for the visiting team because <laughs> their team had nobody. I mean, all these guys are organizational players who probably won't see the big leagues at all. But yeah, they, they need to go with somebody who they know can hit. And, you know, with with the bus potential uh, upside type of thing, um, college bats usually have a pretty decent floor when yep. it comes to that. So so young going there personally, I think he's probably the best college bat left after those top four picks. So I think they definitely kind of go with the highest um, on their draft board that is still available in the college ranks. I totally agree. And that's a pick that I would have loved for the Marlins there uh, because the Marlins are known for one thing. It's that they can't develop hitters. And that's the only reason I think the Marlins are confident enough to go get Elijah green. And I love, I would not be upset with the Elijah green pick for the Marlins. I mean, he has so much potential. He again, could be one of the best players out of this draft. He can do it all power hitter with, what would you put on the, on the, on the run tool on, on, on Elijah green? I'd say maybe like a 60, 65, probably. I mean, that's true five tool potential. He's committed to the right. university of Miami. He's an IMG Academy guy. It seems to make a lot of sense. I'm sure they're going to get a ton of looks at him, given that he's only about three hours up the road from the Marlins right. and about two hours up the road from their complex. He's, he's going to be somebody that I know is, is, is seriously considered for them. But I do wonder, I do wonder, just the Marlins, you, you got to be honest with yourself here. You have not been able to, to develop bats. Even J.J. Bleday has been a slow development, which was as can't miss as it can get in terms of his bat-to-ball skills and power at Vanderbilt. I wonder if they lean college bat. If they do, 
who could be the college bat that gets considered here? Um, I mean, if, if they want to go safe route, low floor, um, maybe Jacob Berry from LSU. The other guy who they could kind of dream on, in a sense, is Gavin Cross from Virginia Tech. You know, Virginia Tech doesn't really put out a lot of draft talent, at least high up in the draft. Um, he's a guy who could probably handle center field, but profiles more as a right fielder, power over hit type of guy. Um, he might, you know, have some swing and miss issues, maybe some plate discipline issues. Oh, they'll love him then. Yeah, yeah. They'll we'll probably fit right him. in. We'll fit right in. <laughs> but personally, I might go. Um, Jacob Barry, I'd say. Interesting. That's going to be an interesting one to see how the Marlins approach that. And I mean, they've, they've strayed from expectations. They did it with Max Meyer. They've done it on a few other occasions. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what they do there. I know they'll definitely not take a pitcher though, because they got more yeah. than enough of those, more than yeah. enough of those, but that's who you have going number seven to the Cubs is Dylan Lesko high school prep arm out of Georgia committed to Vanderbilt right-hander. 6'3", about 200 pounds, mid-90s heater, high spin curveball and a changeup. I mean, this is probably the best arm in the drafts by by a, a good bit, right? Yeah, definitely. He's a step above everybody who's available right now who's healthy, I'd say. I'd say if Peyton Paulette was healthy, he'd probably be going in this range before Lesko. But yeah, I mean, Lesko's a very good pitcher. Um, his fastball's electric. His breaking ball is electric and his changeup's probably the best in the class. And for the Cubs, it just makes sense to go after this guy. I, I love it. And the Cubs, they're in a weird spot. I mean, they, they made some trades. They boosted their system, but they also have made it clear that they kind of want to win now. I'm not sure what their plan is, but I think this is just best player available. Get the arm, keep building up that system. And, and a lot of the guys that they acquired, they did get a couple arms, but for the most part, I feel like most of the impact prospects that they acquired were bats. So replenish the system with a really exciting arm here in Dylan Lesko. And I, and I like that a lot. Number eight, you have outfielder Gavin Cross, who you just mentioned out of Virginia tech going to the Minnesota twins. He fits in the twins do have a decent amount of, of outfielders, but that's more at the big league level. Cross is going to take a little bit of time, even for a college guy, like you said, because of the swing and miss that he has to a degree. Why do you think he's a good fit for the Twins? Yeah, before I get into how he's a good fit for the Twins, I'd, I'd say, and, you know, I, I don't really love to use the word bust before these guys even get picked, but this is a guy who has a very low floor, in my opinion, just because, um, and I believe I have it in the article, yeah, so 19% strikeout rate compared to a 6% walk rate. And, you know, this is college. kind of... In, in college. And that's exactly why I'm, I'm kind of optimistic, but the player that he could become is a very, very good major league regular. And that's why I think the twins go with him here. They don't have the best farm system in the world, but he's a guy who, who they could definitely take a shot on and kind of see if he works out. This is a guy who I think could possibly even move down draft boards, maybe even on draft day. If he's a consensus top 10 pick, he's somebody who could fall out of that, in my opinion. But yeah, he's probably a right fielder, power over hit, and hopefully he could get some of those swing and miss things under control and maybe even walk a little bit more. That might be appealing to teams. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the big thing. You're only walking at 6% as a power bat in college. That's it's a little bit of a red flag, but the swing is nice. He's got crazy bat speed. And for the Twins, talk about what they have at the big league level, but Trevor Warnick, 
it's kind of a similar profile, right? I mean, he, yeah. he's somewhat similar to Larnick, who I actually like. I still think Larnick could figure it out. I love Karoloff. But when you look at the system top to bottom, it's a ton of pitchers. It's a right. ton of pitchers. Royce Lewis. And then Austin Martin might be their best outfield prospect because I, I don't really see Martin sticking in the infield. I think he ends up in center. But outside of that, you, you got to dig pretty far to find a, a legit outfield prospect in that system. It's, it seems to make too much sense, especially with a bit of an uncertain, uh, I guess it's a little bit uncertain around Larnick right now with the swing and miss. So you might want to have another college bat to throw in the mix there. Uh, I think he, he's a good fit there at number eight to the twins. Number nine, Kansas city Royals. You have Jacob Berry, who you mentioned higher floor guy from LSU, the Royals. They have not developed pitching well at all. I, they've they've taken guys that I've liked and then they've not developed them well. I don't know if I was wrong for liking them or if if it's been the development side, but it seems like they might go with another bat here, knowing their weakness and maybe just start acquiring uh, pitchers that are close to big league ready or just wait till they're big leaguers and, and acquire them. Then Jacob Berry seems like an easy, easy pick that, you know, you're maybe not jumping up and down and celebrating in the streets, but you feel really good about. Yeah. So Jacob Barry actually started his college career at Arizona. So he's in the pack 12. Um, I believe, yeah, he's a sophomore. So his freshman year, he's in the pack 12. He's a guy who may have to move to first eventually, but I mean, I was texting with, with our buddy, Peter Flaherty the other day. And he said that Jacob Barry has more power than uh, Jace Young. So this is a guy who could go a little bit higher than nine. Um, I, I put him here just because it kind of makes sense. And I think Jacob Berry has the type of floor that can compare to Hunter Dozier, who's another guy on the uh, on the Royals, you know, kind of a guy who could play the corner infield, has some power in the bat. But I think Berry probably has a little bit more in the tank than Dozier does. And again, another another power bat that just fits into a system that's loaded with power bats. So yeah. add another one to the fold there. I, I could see them go with another arm and take a shot at it. If they went with a, a college arm, is there anyone that makes sense there that maybe you underslot and, and catch people off guard? Is there a college arm you could see them taking? Um, or high school. Arm, well, Brock Porter then, if, if you want to group high school in. Um, Brock Porter is kind of Dylan Lesko light in a way. Um, similar fastball, similar curveball. Um, and he, he also has a very, very good changeup, probably the second best in the class behind Lesko. So he's a guy, if they were to go pitching, they could probably reach on him. Um, but with the college arms, as I mentioned before, maybe Blade Tidwell, um, maybe Carson Weisenhunt, it's, it's kind of light in that area. But definitely if they would go pitcher, I'd say Brock Porter's the pick there. I love the Frank Mazzucato pick last year. And that yeah. was a bit of a surprise. So I think that's a team. This is a pick where we could see them do a little bit of anything, uh, which is which is going to be fun to watch. Coming in at number 10, you got the Colorado Rockies taking Robert Moore out of Arkansas. Another switch hitter, huh? There's a lot of those in this draft, huh? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And as we kind of mentioned earlier about the uh, storylines of this draft with, you know, players' sons and, and things like that, here's another one kind of going to go under the radar. His dad is the president of baseball operations for the Royals. I don't know if he would pick him at nine. I, I honestly have no clue how that would work. Um, but the Rockies, you know, this is a guy who you're going to dream on the bat. He hasn't hit above 300 yet. 
Um, I believe he hit 283 in like 56 games last year, but he's a guy you're going to get a solid defender. He might have to move to second base, but the reason why he hasn't been playing shortstop at the college level is because I believe they have an upperclassman there right now. And, you know, him moving into his junior year, he might get some looks at short, but a safe second baseman, he's got a little bit of speed to him. He's athletic and it's kind of just a bat that you dream on. He does have a very low floor when it comes to that, but he's a guy who could be maybe a 15 to 20 um, pick, but right now he's looking like he's going to go in the top 10. So Robert Moore, number 10 of the Rockies. Yeah. That was going to be my question because a guy that I got to see a good bit of at the uh, college road series when I went out to Omaha was Brock Jones and you have Brock Jones going 11 to the Mets and Jones is a do it all kind of guy, super physical. Uh, yeah. Look, I mean, he looks like he could play linebacker right now and got the power sticking in center, in my opinion, does a little bit of everything and, and has a good approach. He walks a lot. I could see Brock Jones. If you're the Rockies, why, why go with the second baseman there uh, with, with a lower floor and Robert Moore over maybe a Brock Jones, who's a left-handed bat with tools across the board. Well, I think right now, industry-wide, Brock Jones is a little bit slept on. I really like him. I know Baseball America, I believe, had him 18 to the Reds. Um, I moved him up. I originally had him 18 to the Reds. But I said, you know, this guy's a little bit better than I think or that I thought. Um, You know, back to Brock real quick. He's a guy who walked 16% last spring. 16%. That's crazy at any level. And he could probably handle center field. Even if he has to move to a corner, there's definitely some power upside there. But Robert Moore, I I think he might go towards the back end of this top 10 just because of a team really, really liking his bat. I think that's really the only only reason why he would go this high. He's a sound defender, like I said, has some room for an above average defender in the future. But he's a switch hitter. Um, Some evaluators like the bat more than others. So I... I think that they could definitely go with Brock Jones here, but right now it looks like Robert Moore is a consensus top 10 pick. That's crazy. It's crazy. Well, it'll, it'll be fun to see how these guys in college, it's an opportunity here to separate yourself. If Brock Jones right. has a big year, that's a guy that could easily play his way into the top 10 with the skill set that he has and his physicality. So those guys, it'll, it'll be fun to see them all jockey for top 10 position. Another guy, Detroit Tigers, you have high school shortstop going Cole Young. Cold weather, high school shortstop. Very for cold the Tigers. weather. Yeah, in Pennsylvania. He's committed to Duke. What What do you think his signability is? And also, you know, what, what are your thoughts here on a cold weather shortstop? So if there's anybody in the 10 to 15 range that I would pick to move up this draft, and I mean really skyrocket, like possible top seven pick maybe, it's Cole Young. He's going to play shortstop. He has a very, very good hit tool. And he's he's shown he's shown production versus high-end velocity and very polished pitchers, which is pretty promising to see. As you mentioned with the signability concerns, we saw Alex Mooney um, skip out on the draft last year, go to Duke. So I don't know if there's really, you know, just, just in the terms of a freshman coming in as opposed to a sophomore, um, I don't know if he'll get an immediate shot at, at shortstop, but I think he's a guy who will probably end up signing just because of his helium when it comes to, you know, a guy who could definitely move up the draft board. 
And Duke, don't sleep on the Blue Devils. They've been putting together some really good draft classes. Yeah. You talked about Mooney going to Duke. They lost Jordan Walker. Could you imagine what Walker would have done in college? That's crazy. Jordan yeah. Walker was committed to Duke. He made a joke, a mockery out of low A pitching and then even hit high A pitching really well. He would have been probably the best player in the country last year. So Duke, Duke, don't sleep on the Blue Devils continuing to hey, – Chris Pollard's been putting together some, some good teams over there. Yep. 13, LA Angels. You actually have them breaking the mold. They're not taking a pitcher here. They're taking a catcher. It's Daniel Susak from Arizona. Another switch hitter. Yeah. Another switch hitter. Another switch hitter. And the, the interesting thing about this pick is like, I think Max Stassi is probably a big league average catcher with a little bit of an above average uh, glove behind the plate. Um, but I don't think he's the future for them. No. And, you know, you, you drafted what, 20 pitchers last year. You're going to need somebody to catch them. So Daniel Susak is the guy for me. Susak and Georgia Tech's Kevin Parada are going to be grouped together this entire draft process because these are the two top catchers in the draft with another guy who we'll talk about later and Logan Tanner possibly moving into that group. But these are the two guys. Um, some scouts prefer Susak, others prefer Parada. Personally, I prefer Susak. Um, I don't know if you remember Andrew Susak. Yeah, that's his older brother. Um, he's he's a big catcher, switch hitter, has some, you know, promise with the bat definitely at 12 homers last year i think he might hit you know 15 to 20 this year so there is some power there nice hit tool and behind the plate i think he's better than parada interesting and i think parada you get the georgia tech effect right yeah. just just georgia tech catcher just always happens but susak i really like i really like the bat i mean he, he gets into his backside really well really smooth swing it should be it should be a really interesting duel as well between those two guys the difference, obviously, we saw an Arizona catcher picked recently in Austin Wells by the Yankees, but Susak's more of a true catcher, right? Yeah. Yep, for sure. And, you know, there's already been talks about Parada moving off of the position. And wow. there's, you know, there's there's things that are kind of there. They're, there's some interesting. I, I wouldn't want to describe them as negatives about Parada. But where would he play if he moves off of catcher? Left field, maybe first base. He would come in as kind of an undersized first baseman. Um, but I don't think Susak will move off the position. I think he's as safe as they come as catching uh, goes. So, you know, I personally prefer Susak, but Parada is a guy who could go here definitely. It's similar to the Wells situation, I think, for, for Parada there. But Wells, bigger guy with I think more offensive upside. So it, it is an interesting spot there where we could see Parada fall. I agree with you. I think Susak ends up being the first catcher off the board there. Now we have the Mets second pick and this, so the, the 11th pick was their compensation pick for not signing Kumar rocker or not even trying to sign Kumar rocker. So they get two picks. You get rewarded for that in baseball. Yeah. Here's their 14th pick. It's Brock Porter you have going. And this is the guy that, you said you think you could see kind of climb a little bit as a high school arm. What are your thoughts? He's committed to Clemson, 6'3", 190, 18 year old. So he'll be, he'll be pretty young on draft day and got a lot going for him. Yeah. So Porter's interesting. Another cold weather guy uh, comes out of Michigan. As I mentioned earlier, I really like his comparison to Dylan Lesko. I think they're very, very similar similar pitchers. He has two breaking balls. I believe Lesko only has one breaking ball. He throws a slider and a curveball. Um, 
fastball in the upper 90s and another very good changeup. That's kind of, you know, a lot of evaluators say that that's his second best pitch behind his fastball. 15 is interesting because it's San Diego Padres and it's Parada who you just mentioned. And I would, I would love the idea of the Padres getting a catcher because you know, at the big league level right now, they went out and got Austin Nola. You're hoping he can stay healthy, but he has not been able to. Luis Camposano is their top catching prospect, but he has some questions, uh, you know, on and off the field a little bit. And Camposano, even then, though, you have no other catcher in your system, really. So yeah. Parada w- would make sense. But how concerned are we about his ability to stick behind the dish? I mean, how how concerned are you in that? Because if there's a good chance that he doesn't stick there, then maybe that's not the pick for the Padres. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, at the end of my little write-up for Parada to the Padres, I mentioned if there's any college that can develop a catcher into being a good defender from a bad defender, it's Georgia Tech. Of course. So we've seen multiple catchers come out of there in the past couple of years. Um, but I think Parada and Susak's hit tool is pretty similar but I give the edge to Susak because of the glove. And like I mentioned earlier with Parada, I don't know really where he would play other than catcher. Um, probably left field, I'd say. I don't know if he's a first baseman. So kind of catching is, is his way um, to get to the big leagues, I'd think. So he really has to improve there. Um, I don't think he's horrible, but he's definitely below average. It's just got to develop and figure it out. So that, that'll be important at the Padres overhauled their entire developmental Organ like the developmental system through their entire organization. So it'll be a good test yep. for them uh, if they want to see how their system will do in that department. Coming in 16, you get the Guardians taking a Southpaw Carson Wisenhunt out of one of the most underrated programs in the country, East Carolina. That is a sneaky, really good program. And Wisenhunt, he's got a good build, 6'3, 210 Southpaw, 21 years old. And you said in, in your write-up seems like a safer option. He's just a polished lefty with a good field of pitch and already has a feel for a changeup. Those guys seem to translate pretty well to that back end of the rotation, worst case type of guy. Yeah. And real quick, before I get into him, some trivia for you, Arm. Where was Mike Trout committed? I'm assuming it was gonna, it's East Carolina. It's East Carolina, yeah. Wow. Um, a very underrated program. And the Guardians went with Gavin Williams, another Eastern Carolina. I East love, I love Gavin Williams. This guy just makes sense. Um, Wisenhunt's a guy who will probably stick as a starter just because he gets the feel for the third pitch. He throws a pretty good fastball along with a curveball. Um, you know, he's 6'3", he's a good size for a pitcher. And I think the the Guardians could make him into something because – they really do know how to develop pitching. And this guy kind of ad- advanced in a way that um, his analytics kind of show a little bit different numbers than other pitchers in this draft. So he, he's a guy who's a little bit more advanced than the other guys. And I think that the guardians will probably take him if he's there. I, I love the thought behind that too, because as I mentioned, it's a, it's a good fastball and it's two good off speed pitches. Nothing jumps off the page. But that's no. what they normally do. Nothing jumped off the page with Shane Bieber. Nothing jumped off the page with even Xavier Curry. They have an unbelievable yeah. ability to take guys that are command and pitchability first with some signs of potential with their stuff and take that stuff to the next level. And it seems like Carson Wisenhunt's the exact guy that fits that mold. And he's got the, the bigger build and seems to fit. Plus, I loved the pick 
Gavin Williams last year. And it just seems to make so much more sense to, to do it again. Double dip in East Carolina coming in at 17. You got the Philadelphia Phillies, a team that also kind of needs to hit on this pick because their system is not great. And I'm sure Dave Dombrowski is going to want to further deplete it uh, as it's gotten a little bit better through the last couple of drafts. They've went high school arm, high school arm. And last year it was a Florida high school arm. You have them taking an IMG Academy kid in Jackson Ferris, left-handed pitcher, which I like because they don't really have any of those in their system. Nope. Yeah. So this would be the third straight year that they go prep pitcher. Um, Mick Abel two years ago, last year was Andrew Painter. Um, And this year they're getting a guy who could legitimately shoot up this draft board by July. Um, Fastball reaches 97 curveball has very good spin rates and a lot of depth to it. Um, He just doesn't really have a third pitch. He's trying to develop the change up. It'll be interesting to see what, he turns out to be. Um, so like I mentioned earlier, some of these high school guys could end up being bus, but I, I, I don't think that Ferris is kind of along that line. Cause you know, if he has two quality pitches, he could definitely be a major league reliever. His fastball is already getting up to the high nineties and the Phillies farm system is pretty depleted, but at the big leagues, at the big league uh, lineup, you have Harper, you have real Muto, you have Segura and the pitching, they have a pretty solid rotation, in my opinion, but some of these guys are going to be older by the time that Ferris, Painter, and McAble are all ready. So I think Ferris to the Phillies does make a lot of sense for another wave of pitching talent for them. Totally. I think another prep arm fits that, that wave, that next changing of the guard when you get to that point eventually as the Phillies and you want to start to load up on some of those guys so that you have that contingency plan once you get there. So like you said, it's a lot of 28 to 32 year olds at the big league level and the Phillies window is right now, but I like going to get another arm because they might trade from one of those guys. I think Andy Painter could end up getting moved. I don't know if they're as in love with painter as Abel. I don't think anybody is right. And there's nothing against painter. It's just Abel's great. I could see them going to make a move and you want to have another high upside prep arm in that system. If you are going to go make a trade at 18 Cincinnati reds, you have them taking blade Tidwell. The reds are in an interesting spot because they'll do a little bit of everything. We saw them go with the high floor bat last year with Matt McLean. We also saw them after that go with a little bit of high upside with a Jay Allen. They didn't take a ton of pitchers in last year's draft. I did like the Andrew Abbott pick, but they didn't really take a pitcher in, in, in last year's draft that had frontline upside or even had an outside chance at frontline upside. I could see them going with an arm here because we, we discussed the next wave. You've got Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo outside of that. There's not really any other guys in that system. I love Graham Ashcraft, but they could probably use another high upside arm. Can Blade Tidwell project potentially if it all works out as, as a number two type guy, number three type guy in a rotation? I think there's a possibility if he can develop a little bit more of a pitch mix. Um, but I think a good floor for this guy is a reliever. Um, he has a slider, fastball that can reach 98. And, you know, before the Reds overhauled their pitching development system, they were known as Spincinati. I don't yeah. really have any data on Tidwell. Um, but his fastball, he throws it really hard, some room for some more velocity. He's six, four big guy, and he has a slider curveball changeup, but the curveball and changeup just have not been consistent at all. Um, so this spring's going to be big for him. And as, as I mentioned earlier, I mentioned that Tidwell 
might be the best college pitcher in this draft. And I did have Wise and Hunt going earlier than him just because of the connection with the Guardians and kind of just makes sense there. So Tidwell's a guy who could shoot up draft boards if he has a very good spring. And that just seems to be the story with a lot of these college guys. It's pretty wild. And that's going to be the big thing to watch because at the end of the day, you have some teams that really want to take that college arm. And if they could save some money and still take a college arm they like, I feel like they could talk themselves into it. We have another guy here that's probably the youngest pitcher in the draft, potentially going 19 to the Oakland Athletics. You have Brandon Barriera out of my local hometown in South Florida. It's technically not Fort Lauderdale, I think, but it's basically Fort Lauderdale. Played against American Heritage High School plenty. They turn out a bunch of these kinds of dudes. Left-handed pitcher. He's only 5'11", 171, but he's so young at 17 years old, he could legitimately grow more and probably will throw on a couple inches. Definitely will throw on a few pounds. Why are we not intimidated by the sub-six-foot build for a left-handed pitcher? You know, he is an undersized lefty, and I believe he turns 18 soon, so I'm not 100% sure that he's going to be the youngest player in the draft. He very well could be, Um, but he just throws strikes. He has a low to mid-90s fastball slider, which a lot of evaluators really like his slider, and then a changeup. Could be a starter, maybe a reliever, but I think he probably ends up being a starter long-term. You know, just the the ability to throw strikes for me is why I don't care that he's 5'11", opposed to 6'2", 6'3". And the thing, too, is, is low release points have become in vogue. I mean, the height has not really been an essential aspect of a pitcher nowadays. If, if a pitcher gets good extension and has that natural height, that's great. But at times we've seen those guys struggle to repeat their mechanics. We see the low release point with high spin being something that's desired. So I can see why teams would not be put off by by that kind of build, especially when you have that projectability in terms of his stuff and already a good field to pitch, as you mentioned. At number 20, you have the Atlanta Braves sticking to the Atlanta Braves mold, which is not being intimidated by college reliever types or swingman types, guys that have great stuff that never really fully were starters. We've seen them do it on several occasions. They did it with, I mean, Ryan Cusick was a starter, but Never really went deep into starts because his command was was a bit iffy. Jared Schuster was hardly a starter until the end there, and and also a guy that was iffy with the command. And I'd even argue that a Spencer Strider, not a guy that was really getting stretched out uh, in in early years for him either. I really think that this pick makes sense in Landon Sims out of Mississippi State, a guy who we're going to see try to get stretched out a bit more. Uh, but the Braves, I don't think, will be intimidated by the fact that he hasn't been stretched yet. I think that Landon Sims is a guy who could definitely move up draft boards, but a lot just lies on how he will be as a starter. Um, Very high floor, though, and somebody who kind of could probably crack the big leagues within the next couple of years, I'd think. Um, High 90s fastball, wipeout slider, and if the changeup doesn't develop, this guy's a dominant reliever, so it kind of works out for the Braves. I agree. I like it. I think it kind of fits the mold and fits the, the way they've, they've been drafting. And that's a guy that if it doesn't work out, he's, this is a team that's trying to win. Now they're trying to defend their title. They just won the world series. They did win. Now you can, you can climb them. You can throw them up in the bullpen pretty quickly if you yeah. wanted to, if it called for it. And there, there's a value to that at 21. This is the youngest guy in the draft. Actually, I believe Cam Collier yeah, yeah. From, from Chipola junior college in Florida. Another school that just turns out junior college, it turns out so much talent. My cousin, I'll never forget. This is how I, this is how I got 
clued into what Chipola has going on. My cousin started at UF and was in the process of transferring to another school back when you had to sit out for a year and he was sitting out, he's playing junior college, he's playing at um, Miami Dade and they played Chipola and he goes, dude, this junior college, I was like, oh, you're beating up on the competition. He's like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit easier, but some games it's not, it's like harder than SEC ball. Sometimes we played Chipola and they had two different guys throwing 98, 99. And this was eight years ago. It's been a lot of the same. They turn out talent and, and a lot of guys that don't want to go through the full three-year process or even two-year process of college before getting drafted. Well, they'll go to a Juco like Chipola play one year and then go get drafted. Collier reclassified and went to Juco and early results have been great. Yeah. He's another son of a former big leaguer. His dad, Lou played in the big leagues for a very long time. Um, so there's some bloodline there. A lot of scouts like him. Others don't um, kind of the, the negatives to Collier's game is the swing isn't as smooth as some other players like Tamar Johnson or some, you know, Cole Young's of the world. Um, so He's a guy who has already started playing, which is crazy. I believe junior college ball started like last week. So this guy's already on the field. I think he had a home run in the first game, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe. I, I'm not sure. I thought I saw that somewhere. But he, he's another guy who probably sits in that 15 to 25 range. Um, could drive up a big price tag just because of kind of the, the signability that's that's on his side. You know, he could go back to junior college for another year. He could end up fulfilling his commitment to Louisville and maybe even going way earlier in the draft than 15 to 25. So he's an, he's a very interesting player, one of the more interesting players in this draft. And I think he could probably handle third base long term. It's a pretty brilliant move on his part, right? I mean, you, yeah. if you don't want to be in high school anymore, you reclassify, you go to junior college. If you rake you're a first round pick and you, and you get to skip and get drafted up to three years faster than you would have. But even if you don't rake, you just go to Louisville. Like you, you just go there yeah. and, and, and you got valuable experience instead of hitting facing high school competition, you were facing college guys and now you'll be ready to go for Louisville. It's a win-win for Collier Collier. And I think he's going to be in great shape with all the leverage with the ball in his court. It's an ideal situation for him. And that's, that's a former big leaguer dad uh, steering his son in the right direction. No doubt there 22, you got another catcher. This would be the third catcher off the board here in Logan Tanner to the St. Louis Cardinals, the St. Louis Cardinals. They have Yvonne Herrera in their system as the guy that's the heir apparent to Yadier Molina, but Yvonne Herrera is far from a sure thing. They don't really have any other, Catching prospects I love in that system would make sense here to maybe draft a college catcher who, if it doesn't work out for Herrera, you can get a stopgap and hopefully have you know, the, the future of that position in here with Logan Tanner. Yeah, so he's a defense first catcher in most eyes. He does have some power, though, and some names that come to mind, as I mentioned in the article, are, uh, you know, Mike Zanino and Wilson Contreras. They're those are two guys who he could profile as long-term. He might have a little bit more in the tank with the bat though. He might come out this spring and really just rake and could get grouped into that Susak Parada um, argument there. His glove is worlds better than Kevin Parada. And I think he's a better defender than Daniel Susak. And his, he just has a bazooka for an arm. So this is a guy who's definitely a first round talent. And I think that the Cardinals might, you know, want to test the waters with them. As you mentioned with Herrera, he's not a sure thing. So Tanner could be the Cardinals catcher of the future for sure. It's interesting. I could see him climbing up 
I really could because yeah. when you have that staying power behind the dish, if he shows any signs of life offensively, that could be something that ends up really bumping him up there because a team that really feels like they need a catcher, at least you know that you have a defensive catcher that can that can be a guy for you, whether he hits enough to be an everyday guy or not. At least you have that in your system for a, a team like the Cardinals that could really use it. Coming in at 23, you had the Toronto Blue Jays taking college lefty out of Florida State, Bryce Hubbard. Hubbard's a guy I've heard plenty of. It's almost, I feel like you're almost waiting for him to have it all click. And then he kind of, he had it all click in the Cape Cod League. But now we want to see it for, for a full season. I want to see it for a full collegiate season. If he does that, because I mean, he was dominant in the Cape Cod League. If he can really be dominant for this upcoming season as a redshirt sophomore, I feel like this is a guy that could end up having some helium too. Yeah, so a lot of draft boards uh, rank him, I believe, in the 50s. So that would be like the middle of the second round. Um, I reached on him because I think that he will go out and dominate the spring. And I, I want to be early on it because I think that he's a very good pitcher. He showed it against high-end competition in the Cape Cod League. And, you know, he didn't have a horrible spring last year either. He had a 3.80 RA, 94 strikeouts in 16 games. Um, but this spring, I definitely think that he's going to open some eyes and move up some draft boards. Absolutely. I'm with you on that one. I'm, I'm excited to see how he does this year for the Seminoles. Coming in at 24, Boston Red Sox take a prep left-hander and Noah Schultz out of Illinois. He is tall as hell. He's 6'9", 225 pounds, and another guy that is committed to Vanderbilt. Reminds me a little bit of Dax Fulton out of high school, where the velo is not off the charts, but you can see the projection. You can see a nice breaking ball that can have a ton of tilt to it. He's an interesting guy that at the back end of the first round, you're getting a lot of upside here potentially. Yeah, as was brought to my attention by some of our resident Red Sox fans at Just Baseball, uh, they don't know how to develop left-handed pitching. Like they, they threw a few names out to me, and I didn't know who any of them were other than Jay Groom just because he's from near where I live. Um, so Schultz is probably one of the more raw pitchers. As we mentioned with Barriera and a couple of the other guys, they're more, you know, safer options. You know what you're going to get. Fastballs up to the to the high 90s, good breaking balls. Schultz has a good breaking ball, but he definitely has some room for velocity because he I think he was averaging like 89 or something like that on his fastball. And he has a changeup that's still in development. He's a guy who I could definitely see go to college and shoot up draft boards by the end of his time at Vanderbilt because he's going to be sophomore eligible. So he could be back in these mock drafts in 2024. That's a, that's a guy that might be tough leverage wise. And yeah. Dax Fulton, I think we would have seen probably go in that range if it weren't for the Tommy John surgery in high school. And Marlon still ended up overslotting him and giving him close to that kind of value when they took him. So this is a guy though, that the right team sells him on a professional weight training program and, and getting him good to go physically. He could have some major, major upside as he fills out and, easily be sitting in the mid nineties and people are like, Oh, why didn't we take him earlier? He was six, nine and already had some decent stuff going for him, but 25 we've got Dylan Beavers going to the New York Yankees out of cow is a tooled up dude as well. It's a little bit similar to Brock Jones to me where he can do a little bit of everything impacts the baseball left-handed bat, not quite as physical, but he's a pretty physical dude. Brock Jones actually can run through a brick wall 6'4", 206, 20 years old, so younger for his class, which is good too. Another dude that 
could sneak up a little bit higher than this. I feel like. Yeah. He's another guy who could kind of fit that power hitting uh, college outfielder mold that we've seen with Chase DeLauder and Gavin Cross and Brock Jones as well. Um, the only kind of downside to this pick would be just the Yankees don't always go college. So they could go with a prep guy who they really like. I know that they took Trey Sweeney out of a small uh, Illinois college last year. Beavers is a guy, though, who has struggled versus high-end competition, didn't do well with Team USA, didn't do well on the Cape in a limited sample size, but he has done well with Cal. And if he comes out and just shows out this spring, I I think he could definitely move up boards, like you said. I was going to say, though, there's definitely some refinements, some adjustments needed with his swing. It's a a little herky-jerky. It's going to be hard to time that up against higher velocity and just you could see the bat speed, but there's some smoothing out that needs to happen, but that could easily happen this spring. It could have already happened. So I'm eager to see how he looks and what kind of adjustments he makes, but some struggles are possible. And that could also dock him back a little bit too. Whereas Jones is a much more Brock Jones, much more simple stroke that I can see translating a lot easier to professional baseball at 26, another team that really needs to, to hit on this pick, but they could still afford to go for the upside type of guy. They go with, you have the Chicago White Sox going with Tristan Smith, Southpaw out of South Carolina High School, 6'1", 202, pretty big build already, pretty filled out, 18 years old, committed to Clemson. What, what are your thoughts here? Is another, another lefty from a low release point, but has some more lively stuff than maybe some of the other guys we've talked about. Yeah, so Tristan Smith is a guy who, if he gets picked in the first round, which I think he kind of profiles as an early second, late first pick, um, the team that picks him is going to have to really like him because he has almost no third pitch. I don't think he's thrown his changeup at all, um, but his his fastball and slider are both pretty solid, and he may profile as a reliever way down the road, but he will definitely get a shot to start with the White Sox. Just shaky control, lack of third pitch. There's a couple cons for for Smith. Um, so he, he's a guy who is still very raw and just needs development. That curveball is is gross, though. Uh, yeah. That curveball is nasty. But the, the problem is, you talk about the command. It, it's hard to throw you know, deep, like curveballs with a lot of depth for called strikes. So when you only have the fastball curveball, it's, it's really hard to pound the yeah. zone when, when right. guys can just spit on the curveball. And that's, that's going to kind of be the problem for him uh, in professional baseball. He's going to have to find that third pitch. 27th, you got a shortstop, Carter Young out of Vanderbilt. I got to see plenty of this guy in Omaha. I've seen plenty of him through the last year or so. He's got a lot going for him, but there's just something to tick off at the plate. It just seems like he just is still figuring it out. He's got power, no doubt about that, from both sides of the plate. He's a good athlete. But there's there's just something a little bit off with his timing. He just seems to be a little bit robotic at times at the plate. Ton of upside, ton of upside. And this could be one of those, again, where you look back and you're like, oh, how did he fall to 27? But yeah. the, the numbers just haven't been there at Vanderbilt yet. Another guy who has to have a really good spring. Um, you know, he only had 252 last year. Usually for college bats, you like to see above 300 in the batting average. Um, but he did hit 16 homers, so he does have some juice there. I think he definitely sticks at shortstop. He's quick. He's athletic there, good actions. Um, a lot of evaluators definitely think that he will stick there. The name that I comped for him was Cole Tucker. Not 
not saying that he's going to turn out like Cole Tucker did, but Cole Tucker was kind of a back end of the first round talent, um, shortstop, really good defensively and could definitely stick there, which, you know, Tucker's bounced around the entire field. And that's just because they, they don't love his bat, but another switch hitter young's a guy who, you know, the, if, if the Brewers would end up taking him at 27, they would just really love his bat and really want to invest a lot into it. Um, he might drive up a, you know, above average price tag for this area, just because he has the option to go back to Vanderbilt. And that's something that I could see him doing. If, if he goes out this spring and isn't satisfied with his performance, I could definitely see him returning and coming back as a senior. I totally agree. And, and that's the thing too, is that he's been playing from the get-go has a lot of ABs under his belt, a lot of yeah. experience. I could see him breaking out in a big way this year and working through some of those kinks that we saw in Omaha uh, at the plate. 28, you got the Houston Astros taking Peyton Graham, who out of Oklahoma, another third baseman, big dude at 6'4", but only 170 pounds, has some room to fill out and can continue to add more power. 11 home runs last spring. But again, he can he can add some physicality and maybe have some more power in the tank there. A pretty good feel to hit, too. What's the overall thoughts on Graham for a team that's been pretty good with developing offensive players in the Astros? That's kind of why I went with Graham here. He hasn't performed extremely well. He struggled on the Cape and he only had a 902 OPS, which is, you know, with first round talents, it's kind of low for college. Um, but Graham's a guy who's going to be a power hitting strong arm third baseman, and he probably profiles there. If he has to move over to first, he still has a very strong arm. So I don't think that that's using his abilities to the best way. So I think he's a third baseman. I think he could hit for some power. And as you said, the Astros like to develop bats. They've had some successes with it. So I think Graham's a guy who could definitely go there. 29 with the just classic Tampa Bay Rays pick, Reggie Crawford, Southpaw with crazy, crazy potential. Two-way player, though. Also plays first base for UConn. 6'4", 235, was up to 101 in the Cape in relief, and also has mashed and hit for some power in 64 games, 14 home runs. I see him more as a pitcher, most likely, but he could be a two-way guy. Is there a legitimate chance that he could be a two-way guy? I think there's a chance. I don't know if the Rays would want to do that. One of the reasons why I mocked Reggie to the Rays was because of Brendan McKay. You know, they've done this before, first base, left-handed pitcher. But I I think Crawford's future is on the mound. He's recovering from Tommy John surgery. And the Rays have a very good farm system, as we know. So they kind of have some room to take a risk here. And Crawford is definitely a risk because he's coming off of a big injury. Um, But, he, he, you know, he's thrown 101 in the past. He has a very good breaking ball. I don't know. I, I'm looking at my notes here. I don't think he really throws a change up, so he's probably a relief pitcher. But I, I mentioned Garrett Crochet in this write-up because he could be in the big leagues rather soon. And that's something that, again, matters to the race. I think it does. So it's going to be interesting to see where Crawford goes. You could see him fall a bit, or we could see him go in the first round. So it should be interesting to see. What team wants to take a chance on him here? Brandon McKay did not bode. did not really end up as a successful pick for them so far. His his arm issues have just been bad. The thing is, is I think Crawford's got way, way more 
upside with his arm than than McKay even did in college. I talked to a lot of guys that faced McKay in college, and, and they actually thought he was better as a hitter. Uh, but for whatever reason, he was more valued as a pitcher. And it seems like Crawford, while he may not have the rotation potential that McKay has, has better swing and miss stuff. And if the Rays can develop, I mean, the Rays can do that. So we'll see if they can develop this guy, who is a great athlete as well, which really matters on the mound uh, when it all comes down to it. Last two picks here. Got the Dodgers taking a right-handed pitcher out of Arkansas. Why, again, a college arm here for the Dodgers? Well, at, at this point at 30, I couldn't let Peyton Paulette fall anymore. Um, as I mentioned before, coming into this draft, before he got Tommy John surgery, he was viewed as the top pitcher. And as we've seen with a couple guys who get hurt, they fall to the back end. And I think for him, I mean, the Dodgers kind of make sense. They have a very good farm. They're good at development. But I think anybody who gets this guy is going to get a very talented arm. You know, Tommy John surgery has a very high success rate. So I think it will be just fine. Yeah. But this guy's curveball is nasty. He has a high 90s fastball. And, you know, he, he has he has a changeup, as is the story with a lot of these pitchers. It's still kind of developing. So a reliever could be a high floor for him, but I think he might end up being a starter down the road. I mean, at 30, another team that just really can develop. If he has those, those aspects to his game, you figure the Dodgers can help take him across the finish line there and, and develop him into a nice piece. So I like that fit there. I'm sure the Dodgers would be happy if he fell to them at that spot. Final pick of this first round, 31st overall San Francisco Giants. I'm not even going to try to pronounce either either his name or his high school. So you can you can do it for me. But another right-handed pitcher who's committed to Vanderbilt and has I really like the projection. And it's funny I know what he looks like on the mound more so than I know how to say his name. Yeah, it's a tough high school and it's a tough name. It's Andrew Dekanich. 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 I don't know how to say the high school. I think Bree Buf Jesuit out of Indiana, another Vanderbilt commit and a guy who I could see skyrocket up the board. I originally yes. had a college shortstop here, um, but I, I think if Dekanish comes out and really has a good spring scouts, lay more eyes on him, maybe fall in love with the profile. I think he's a guy who could definitely go very high in this draft and maybe top 15 when it's all said and done. I know that's a lot to rise, but I really like this guy. Fastball has a ton of life. He jumps oh out of his hands. Yeah. Are you watching the video? Or? Yeah. Well, yeah. And I was, I was watching it now and I was watching him earlier and just the riding life on the heater is crazy. It's yeah. It's, it's nuts. And the slider, he also has a curveball, and he, he has a changeup as well, which all of his secondaries are viewed as above average pitches um, down the road. And, you know, this is a guy who's ranked in the forties mostly on many draft boards and I, I, I just think he's going to be a first-round talent, and I think he might even move up further. I'll tell you what. The Dodgers and the Giants back-to-back -back are not passing on this guy. One, one of them has taken this kid. Yeah. The, the, the athleticism, the arm speed, the already good feel for spin, and then the, the riding life on the fastball, I, I'm with you. I think this guy could end up going into the first half of the draft. Yeah, to at, watch. At, at the PG National – Sorry to cut you off, but at the PG National, he faced six batters and struck them all out. Yeah, so. that, that shows you that there's something different coming out of his hand compared to the average high school guy. And the mechanics are, are pretty smooth. 
that's a name I'm, I'm excited to watch him. I bet in 2.0, he'll be up a little bit higher. Uh, and it's, it's amazing how some of these guys fly under the radar, but you always see the pop-up prospect. I mean, Grayson Rodriguez was somebody that at this point back then, I think 2017 was not even considered in that range. So there's always those guys that'll pop up. And if his VLO continues to go up as the spring goes on, it's, it's easier for the pitchers to have that pop-up ability because if you hit 450 in high school, it's, it's, it's okay. But if you're hitting 96 on the radar, gone. Guys are going to come, scouts are going to come check you out. So this was good. This was really good stuff, Miller. I mean, you put so much time into this mock. It's just version one. We've got more versions coming. But if the, for those who want to read the full write-ups on each of these guys and the justification for the picks and a little bit of video on each of them, it's in the description here. Miller, thank you for teaching me a little bit about these guys because I still have, I mean, bajillion minor league prospects. I'm getting through the top 100 update and I'm finishing, I just finished the giants top 10, which will be ready to go on Monday. We'll be going through the giants top prospects on the Monday episode interviewed Joey Weimer as well of the Brewers org. That episode will be live next week also. So you have helped me a ton because I just have not been able to dive into all of these college guys, the way you have or high school guys, the way you have, and I'm excited to do it, but Thank you for the primer here. And I hope everybody else enjoyed it as much as I did, because you got a wealth of information. Miller, let them know where they can find you. I'll also have your, your social media in the description. Yeah, so mostly I, I use Twitter. It's Prospects Ryan. I still don't know how I got that username, but it was <laughs> yeah, available, so I took it. Yeah, so um, a lot of draft content up there. Um, when the Boys of Spring College podcast gets rolling, going to have a Twitter for that. So make sure to follow that when the time comes. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to keep doing these mocks. And I I mean, Arm, you, you have a lot of time to go through these guys. Draft isn't until July. You'll be out on the Cape, hopefully. So it, it, it'll be it'll be interesting for sure. Yeah, I'm excited to keep ramping up this side of it and really excited for our college baseball coverage, which you'll be leading the way for on just baseball and college baseball seasons around the corner. Uh, so definitely keep up with Ryan on that end because there's nothing more pure than college baseball other than the little league world series uh, in just yep. terms of just caring and uh, just the level of, of effort that goes into it. And so fun to keep up with, but thank you, Ryan. We will have you again soon for mock draft 2.0, but I'm sure we'll be talking to you about college baseball and some of these guys before that, Ryan, thank you. Have a great weekend and everybody will talk prospects with you on Monday. <laughs>